The community that looks nicer is the one that has an HOA. I think there was a, uh, a CAI study actually here a number of years ago that put it at about a 10% uh, bump in value for a, a home in an HOA to a comparable home not. Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here, to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, join us in the Uncommon Area. Welcome to the Uncommon Area. I'm Matthew Holbrook, and this episode is all about what are the biggest challenges facing HOAs in the coming decade? And here to discuss that with us is Nathan McGuire of McGuire Schubert Sohal. And uh, just really glad to uh, have you joining us here, Nathan. I know that you have been involved in both uh, CAI CLAC for many years and in, uh, in addressing what's going on legislatively in California, as well as uh, CAI National and um uh, I know that you have a, a lot of uh, experience and insight into what is happening with HOAs, and so uh, appreciate you being part of this. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, the biggest challenges facing HOAs in the next decade. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to to be here, and and really, I for me, especially coming from a legislative perspective. I think that the biggest challenges that HOAs face is this perception that HOAs are 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 bad, that that HOAs are are not a place where where people want to live. And so basically we have a a a misperception of HOAs that we need to really work hard to to clean up. So we're really talking about homeowner satisfaction. And it's been my experience uh, in my career as an attorney in this industry that uh, misperceptions about homeowner satisfaction and specific issues can often lead to legislation in the industry. And a lot of those misconceptions can be cleaned up. We, we do our best to educate the, the legislature. And in many cases, some of the, the worst of the worst stories that you hear um, are either really not bad once you kind of dive in and, and understand the details and, and, and work through it and make sense, or it's really a one-off situation where uh, very rarely we have a, a bad board or we have a, a community that that is is struggling so bad that that it's just really not you know not a great place to live. But um, it seems like the the industry or the 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 media in particular has kind of made a, a joke about HOAs and and really um, most of what you'll see and hear in the media in the news um, online uh, on social media uh, is is not accurate in terms of what HOAs actually do and the actual level of satisfaction in communities. But I think we are at a crossroads because we see these things happening. They get the attention. You know, the negative things always get the attention. It's never, hey, there's this great community that's doing so well and everybody loves it and the board is really well run and, and management does a great job. I mean, th that's never in the news. It, it's like other things, you know, what's in the news, crime and you know, challenging stories and, and things like that. So I, I do think we're at a crossroads and, 
and I, I don't mind mentioning it, but I think uh, a lot of people who uh, will will listen to this or, or see this will probably by now have have seen or heard about um, the John Oliver segment right. on um, on HOAs, and and that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of issue that we're combating. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's funny you, uh, you, you, you frame this, this issue in that way. Um, as we look at what are the biggest challenges facing HOAs, I know at, at Action Property Management, we're having a lot of discussions these days around how do we, how do we change minds about how people are viewing an HOA and actually see their HOA as a positive value, not you know, right now, the best, I think oftentimes people, the best they hope for is that the HOA just be seen as um, maybe a necessary evil. Um, but um, I think there's opportunity, and I think this is what you're getting at, there's opportunity to reshape that and and to actually make the uh, the HOA a, a positive force and help people to see that. Uh, so you had... Uh, you had referenced as we look ahead as to what HOAs are going to be facing, uh, you'd referenced that there, that there's legislative impact, um, but that that is in many ways directly related to or intertwined with homeowner satisfaction. So I guess maybe to start with, am I, am I representing you correctly um, in that, that you are essentially pointing out that legislation is often a reaction to homeowner satisfaction with their HOAs and maybe even to the point where the legislation is a reaction to maybe one-off situations or extreme situations um, that then results in laws that uh, that affect everyone and um, I'm you didn't say this but I'm I'm making the assumption that that's maybe not the greatest thing for HOAs. Yeah, that that's exactly right. I mean, um, and 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 keep in mind too that that California is a completely different environment legislatively than other states. So, taking the the John Oliver segment as an example, some of the things that that he talks about that he references in that segment um, don't apply or or have any bearing on what we're doing in California, what we're required to do in California. Um, in comparison to other states, California is um, incredibly uh, homeowner friendly, and and most of the legislation that we've seen over the last um, you know twenty plus years since the Davis Sterling Act was uh, enacted in 1986 have been to make hoops that um, that homeowners associations have to jump through, which benefit the the homeowner, and in many cases. Those have been good things. They have been things that uh, that have served to uh, protect homeowners and, and to encourage um, good governance and, and things like that. Um, but in many cases, it's just increased the the cost um, that associations have to endure, which, as everyone knows, those costs are ultimately borne by all of the homeowners. Um, but to your point, I can't tell you how many times over the years in in working in the Capitol and and being involved in the legislative arena that it'll be one instance of bad conduct or 
one legislator has a cousin who lives in an HOA and, and was facing, you know, some, some issue, some dispute with their board. Um, or you might have sort of one, um, you know, legislative advocate who really is, is sort of, um, you know, distrustful of HOAs, generally speaking. And so a lot of the legislation has been born out of, out of that, out of that sort of, um, one-off situations where there's really no data to back it up. And yet when we, um, come, you know, to the table and make an argument in opposition to, uh, as we, we do from time to time, to a certain piece of, of proposed legislation, uh, the legislature is very quick to say, where's your data? Where's your data to say this isn't, this isn't a problem. And, uh, you know, we, we want to say, where's your data to show that this is a problem, except for in maybe that one, uh, community that, that, you know, your, your staffer lives in or, or your family member lives in or, or whatever. Yeah. It's always harder to show data for something that isn't as opposed to for something that is. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's unfortunate because you could end up with situations where you have legislation enacted that is intended to protect homeowners, but if it's in a one-off or an extreme situation, that legislation could have the unintended consequence of actually creating higher costs for all homeowners in the name of protecting, you know, homeowners that uh, there really may not be many, if any, that would fit into that category. So um, that is unfortunate. Um, as we look forward, what are some of the legislative trends in California that you see um, coming up in in, uh, in coming years? Yeah, good, good question. So I, I think a lot of it is related to the housing crisis. So in, in California, the legislature has been very focused on uh, affordability and uh, the number of housing units and trying to increase uh, density and, 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 and eliminate sort of red tape for uh, additional density and things like that. So we've seen over the last uh, five years or so, um, tons of leg legislation on ADUs, and I, I don't expect that we're done there. I think we're going to see more. Um, we've seen some bills on uh, on lot splitting and on zoning. So, you know, we, we've talked about in the industry SB9 and SB10, which were basically designed to um, allow uh, a lot owner to increase the density in their um, you know, on their lot. Uh, and so you had uh, essentially a situation where a single family residential lot owner could, um, if, if SB9 and SB10 both um, would have uh, applied to homeowners associations, then the owner could split their lot, build two residences, build a JADU and an ADU on each one and, and or tear down their home and build a 10 unit, you know, apartment building or, or things like that. And so it really is kind of counterintuitive because the legislature relies on the community association housing model because we're the only game in town when it comes to um, density that is also home ownership, right? Right. The only other type of density in California is um is apartments 
And I don't think the legislature wants to just see um, apartments going in everywhere. I mean, it's part of the uh, you know, the, the so-called American dream is to, is to own your home. And when you're talking about affordability, the most affordable, um, housing unit that, that somebody can own is oftentimes, uh, a condominium unit or, or other type of, of common interest development. And so, uh, it's kind of counterintuitive in that regard, um, that they're essentially doing some things which change the, the very nature of a community, um, especially retroactively. And that, that's where oftentimes I, I personally have, have issues with what the, the legislature is doing. Right. Well, uh, as we look at to other trends maybe coming up legislatively, uh, obviously there was a, um, uh, a huge impact, um, uh, by uh, what happened in Florida with Champlain Towers, and uh, I'm I'm wondering what do you expect will come of that as it relates to HOAs in California? Yeah, there's two things really, and 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 go a step back even further to the Berkeley balcony collapse, right, right. and what you saw in in California was Senator Hill um, pushing legislation that was kind of a compromise position which requires balcony inspections and inspections of, of other elevated structures. And then fast forward to Champlain Towers in, in Florida with uh, the obvious tragedy there and, and the entire building uh, collapsing. And you've got the entire country now looking at condos, uh, especially uh, high rise and mid rise condos um, to try to assess what um, issues we need to be looking at in terms of long-term structural integrity issues. And so I think that what we're seeing, what we saw in, in Florida relatively quickly in their legislative session was a bill that would um, require associations to carry reserves. Um, in California, we've never had a, a mandate for um, an association to carry a certain amount of reserves. It's simply been a disclosure issue. They're either well-funded or, or not at all well-funded or somewhere in between. And buyers have always had the opportunity to assess that before they go forward with, you know, purchasing a unit in a particular community. And I think the, the issue that we'll see, and, and perhaps rightly so, I've, I've kind of changed perspective on this over the years is that as we know, owners often don't read the fine print. They don't read the documents. They're not internalizing and digesting what the reserve funding percentage, for example, really truly means. And if you're buying a, a condominium unit and the reserve funding percentage is a hundred percent, that's, that's wonderful. But if you're buying a condominium unit and the reserve funding percentage is three percent, that's that's a pretty bad you know situation to be buying into, and it should really impact the purchase price. But oftentimes people don't know um, enough, and they're not advised well enough to understand the impact of the difference between those those two things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one other topic uh, that I wanted to touch on, at least um, as far as legislative uh, um, trends that are coming up, um, talk to us about um, 
electric vehicles and what you see happening with regard to electric vehicles and HOAs? Yeah, good, good question. So we live in California. We see the Teslas all over. Uh, they're, they're, they're getting to be everywhere. The charging stations are getting to be everywhere. And we've seen a lot of legislation in recent years uh, about um, charging stations uh, in uh, common interest developments, particularly in condominiums, you know, wh whether it be uh, a, uh, an owner who wants to install uh, a charging station in the common area or things like that. And uh, we've also seen a lot of associations um, actually, you know, voluntarily uh, installing charging stations in common areas and things like that. But again, it gets complicated when you're looking at um, putting these into existing communities because some uh, condominium projects, for example, the parking spaces are deeded to the owner versus they're just assigned by a rule or something like that. It's very difficult to uh, manage the infrastructure, especially when the laws in the nation and in particular in California um, are changing to to arguably push you know gas vehicles off the road completely. And so I think there's going to have to be a reckoning at some point in in the in the future about how we're going to deal with uh, all of the the demand that we're going to be seeing for electric vehicle charging stations. So I think that's a I think that's a, a big issue that that we're facing, especially in California. Probably an evolving one that will uh, that still to some degree remains to be seen as to uh, how that will play out. Yep, yeah, and I can add to uh, one of the bills that we saw last year come out of uh, the Capitol was a bill that is basically asking um, state officials to look at um, amending the the building code, which is due next to be revised in uh, 2025. And essentially what they're hoping to be able to do is when an association is doing work and which requires a permit on the common area for, for the parking lot, for example, then the local jurisdiction could require the association to install electric vehicle charging stations at that point. So as we look at all of these trends and uh, um, what's happening uh, legislatively, um, how do you see this affecting uh, homeowner satisfaction with HOAs, the perception of HOAs? Where do you see this going? Yeah, I, I think HOAs, you know, as an as an industry, we we have our work cut out for us because I, I think we're dealing with both misperception about homeowner satisfaction in HOAs and also a sort of media problem uh, in terms of how we're we're evolving, how we're growing, and and I would add um, how we utilize technology in the mix there as well, because for legal reasons, associations have been sort of in the dinosaur age for a long time. And in that regard, um, COVID was kind of a wake up call for our industry because uh, we, you know, we've been trying to get the legislature to allow us to kind of come into the modern age. And the pushback has always been, well, there's, there's, 
you know, people who don't have email and there's people who don't have internet access and, you know, all of those things. And I think after COVID, that argument is, is, is less concerning to, to the legislature. Um, so we'll, we'll start to hopefully see things like electronic voting um, happening in the near future. That will be big because it will increase participation, which is one of the, the huge problems that we're facing is, is apathy in, in communities that are stuck, um, you know, never being able to get to get their members engaged. Um, and so, you know, using social media and, and other uh, communication tools are going to be more and more important going forward. Um, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, if boards should be thinking about social media, looking at social media, you know, uh, going on next door and, and seeing what people are saying, I, I would have just said, stay out of it. Don't don't have anything to do with it. And I think that, you know, as time has gone by, we're getting more and more sort of pulled in that in that direction and associations have their work cut cut out for them uh, to be able to communicate effectively as you know, as times are changing. I mean, frankly, uh, email is outdated now. Right. <laughs> um, a lot of people aren't using email. Uh, they they rely on apps and, and social media for their information, for their news and, and things like that. So we're still complaining about people not opening the mail. Um, but, you know, we've, we've kind of now we're starting to even miss the next generation of communication, which is, which is email. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's an interesting issue as well. Yeah. Well, you've, uh, you, so you've opened the door to uh, a few different topics that I want to uh, explore just a little bit further. One, just as a comment on the technology, um, agree with you wholeheartedly that the industry has been in the dark ages for a long time, uh, technology wise. COVID was a, a thrust forward in that way. Um, but really, as an industry, we're going to have to figure out how to jump forward significantly and quickly. We look at uh, even where we are, and this isn't the topic for this, uh, this particular episode, um, but we have things uh, uh, coming to the forefront like ChatGPT, which is already um, – evolving to as we now look at the advent of auto GPT and and new developments in that whole area and um, uh, my point being the HOA uh, industry is starting off many steps behind where the rest of the world is going and there is uh, there's a need to catch up and legislatively that's going to have to be addressed um, as well as just from an operational and practice standpoint um, but with that, one of the things is we is we consider technology, and you mentioned emails become outdated. I'm curious as to what your thoughts. This is a conversation we're having on our side as a as a management company. But how do we communicate formally with um, with homeowners? Um, and uh, what I mean by that is um, non compliance notices. Um, uh, uh, delinquent assessment notices, things that where there's a, a formal need to communicate. Um, it's not just a convenience. And what we're finding is people don't open their mail anymore because the only physical mail they receive is essentially junk mail. And then um, the same thing is happening in their email inbox. They're getting lots of spam and junk mail in their email inbox. And so they're not reading all of their email either. And, um, and so I think this is pushing to a, a conversation around how do we actually make connection and communicate effectively 
with with homeowners in a homeowners association. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I thought I would at least bring that subject up. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think we the answer is we don't know because really our, our next step is to be able to um, elect electronically vote, um, communicate. Uh, more freely by email. We've been working on that for the last several years, and now at least we have some some options and, and things like that. Um, but I think for me, my my rule of thumb is the more communication, the better. Um, whether it be um, you know, if obviously if we have to send something snail mail or certified mail, then we do that. But why not also send it electronically? Um, you know, and then, and then, of course, for general communication to the membership, I think we're going to have to start opening up to the idea of, you know, of having engagement with social media, um, having the association have its own form of social media, uh, apps, um, things like that, where, um, you know, we have uh, the ability to, to communicate um, more proficiently than owners who are sort of raising issues or, 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 or sort of uh, trying to, you know, cause disputes with the association. So I, I do think because you have the occasional board member who is kind of, uh, you know, rowing in the wrong direction, we have to be careful when uh, board members do get on social media that, and when th that it's clear whether or not they're speaking on behalf of of the association or not because we don't want them to bind the association to a position or or cause an admission that can be used against the association really when they're acting outside the scope of their authority as a director but but just as a uh, you know as a as a member of the community so it, it's going to get more complicated i think before we see the path forward. Yeah. And we're seeing, um, even within the industry, there are differences of opinion. Uh, what you just expressed, um, I've heard some attorneys say, but I've also heard attorneys still currently saying to board members, don't go on social media. Um, and even making the point that you can't like take your board member hat off and on. Um, you're always going to be a board member. And so don't engage at all. Um, so I understand that from a from a conservative perspective, but on the other hand, it becomes really difficult to know what's going on in the community and to effectively engage the community if you're not um, participating in social media in some way. So um, I think as we look at trends going forward and what's happening in the industry, um, kind of figuring out even what the the standard expectations are for boards, management companies, um, and how we we should be. Um, relating on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think that's absolutely. a that's a big part of it. And and a a big part of this communication issue is um, how this impacts um, not only homeowner sat satisfaction but but sort of the civility issue that we're having in homeowners associations, which we've had. Uh, we've seen an increase of uh, harassment, discrimination, neighbor-to-neighbor um, -neighbor disputes, um, and even, frankly, some some violence 
um, that that we've seen sort of a rise of of people losing losing it with with managers. Um, I, I've gotten I, I've had to do more civil harassment and restraining orders and workplace violence restraining orders in the last two years than than I think I did the entire you know ten years prior to that. So I think what we're seeing you know on the 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 national level in terms of uh, politics and and things like that is permeating our communities. And so that's something that I'm watching very, very carefully as well. Well, with regard to just kind of this increase in hostility and and a reduction of civility in, I guess, society as a whole, and that being reflected um, within uh, HOAs, um, where do you uh, where do you see things going with HOAs? And um, I guess how do how are we to think about this as it relates to what's happening in in homeowners associations? Yeah, I, I think it's a big problem. It's it's it may get worse before it gets better, and unfortunately, associations have few tools to deal with these issues um, because a lot of these issues sort of butt right up against you know the First Amendment uh, rights of free speech and and things like that. So whether it's political signage that contains vulgarity. Or whether it's uh, you know neighbors sort of arguing over uh, politics, or whether it's just this sort of general um, laissez-faire attitude that um, I think a lot more people have um, today uh, in the country and 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 throughout California as well. Um, in terms of you can't tell me what to do. Uh, I mean, this has always been. A, a homeowners association problem. We've we've said, well, you know, maybe some people don't, you know, don't uh, don't belong in in homeowners associations. And I don't mean that in a in a NIMBY way. Um, I mean that for if I was if I was advising certain of my friends, I would say you should not live in a homeowners association, right? If, if there's a trade off. When you're buying into a community, there is a common vision, um, and that is protected um, by the the board and the governing documents. And there are there are uh, fail safes that are built into the system to prevent you know bad boards and and things like that. But on the flip side. Uh, boards often have very little um, ability to deal with the most challenging, the most difficult homeowners um, who are, you know, uh, uh, because we're we're talking about all this gray area in terms of defamation, uh, First Amendment, political speech, right? All of these things, the the law becomes as you try to apply it to the facts becomes very, very gray. And so, you know, uh, uh, boards can can fine um, homeowners and, and, and hold hearings and there's due process and all of, the, all of these things. But a lot of times the most challenging, the most harmful, um, you know, myths, mistruths that we are seeing that associations are, are dealing with are the type of, of conduct that is difficult to regulate. 
And so I, I just think it's a, it's a big challenge. I, I wish I had a good, a good answer, but I, I don't think there is a good, a good answer uh, other than changing the broader perception of HOAs and, and, and changing the narrative. HOAs serve a very valuable purpose. And uh, not only like I talked about earlier in terms of creating density and, and providing home ownership and, and, and affordability and things like that, but, um, but in terms of preserving property values and, and providing, uh, you know, providing uh, some assurance to members that when they move into a community that it's going to look similar in 10 years, um, I, I think we all know when we drive through a community um, and, and it's new, it looks great. But 10 years later, you drive through a community, I think you can tell whether that community has an HOA or doesn't. And I don't think you're going to be surprised to hear me say that the community that looks nicer is the one that has an HOA. I know there's actually so been there, there are trade -offs. Yeah, there's actually been a variety of studies done on um, the value of an HOA uh, compared to homes not in an HOA, and I think there's there's numbers that are kind of all over the board. But I would say that it's it's probably a fair number to give. I think there was a uh, a CAI study actually here a number of years ago that put it at about a 10% uh, bump in value for a, a home in an HOA to a comparable home not. Um, well, with all of this that's that's going on um, in HOAs, it seems that a lot of it is just um, a reflection of society as a whole and culture as a whole that's more divided. And so we see increased in, in hostility. There's this, as you've said, there's this uh, um, kind of media onslaught that paints HOAs in a negative light. Um, uh, where I'd want to uh, just, I guess, kind of... Uh, wrap this up is is ask you how do you think that compares to the reality of residents in an HOA um, how do you think most people actually view their homeowners association yeah it, it's drastically different I, I think that for example if you if you take the the John Oliver segment as as the the anti HOA position you know HOAs are terrible uh, they 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 don't effectively serve their intended purpose. Um, they cause more uh, damage than good. I, I honestly think that that is very very far from the truth. The reality is that the vast majority of HOAs, and I'll speak to California because that's my experience. I think I think we we do have some additional protections and in, 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 in requirements in place that that help to serve that purpose that maybe some other states don't have. But I suspect it's nationwide. Um, I, I really believe that homeowners associations are incredibly um, useful. They serve a, 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 a really great purpose. The, the vast majority of boards um, are doing a great job under difficult circumstances. We have to remember uh, directors are volunteers. They're not uh, specifically trained uh, to operate and, and to govern. And, and so uh, they're dealing with a very challenging legal landscape. And I think for the most part, they do a, a really wonderful job. And, and so it, I think it boils down to 
um, homeowner satisfaction is actually significantly higher. And in spite of, you know, John Oliver um, showing a few messages, you know, on a, on a forum board uh, about people, you know, in their, in their negative comments toward HOAs, the data is actually shows exactly the opposite. I and mean, you, you mentioned CAI's study. Um, part of that study um, a couple of years ago was um, indicated that that 89% of homeowners are not dissatisfied with their HOAs. I think that is a significant part of the narrative that's just not being talked about. And and in California, we actually had um, above average um, ratings in terms of homeowner satisfaction. So are there things that, that we can do to, to clean things up? Are, 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 can we better, you know, police ourselves? Is, is there some legislation that, that maybe would help in, in some of these issues? Yeah, here, here, here and there. But I think that the, the narrative that people often have, uh, this sort of negative connotation of, of an HOA is just completely, completely wrong. Yeah. Well, that 89% number is uh, is an important one, and we need to make that more known and to uh, reflect that in a lot of different ways. Um, but I think that's a good place to uh, to wrap up. Um, we'll just continue to uh, to talk about this subject and um, and continue to push forward to uh, turn the narrative and um, highlight the great value that there is in HOAs and uh, and shore up the places where um, where maybe it's uh, it's detracting from uh, from that overall uh, message. So appreciate your time, Nathan, and your perspective. Uh, I think that uh, that this was really uh, really helpful. And I hope that uh, you continue to look to the Uncommon Area for additional episodes on other topics that we address related to HOAs.